There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now I can think of no better way to while away an afternoon over the Christmas, maybe after the turkey has settled and getting stuck into a festive book by my next guest. The story uh, begins the day before a wedding where three strangers arrive home to Ireland to a house that gave each of them refuge during difficult times in their childhood. They're there to celebrate the winter wedding of Anne, the woman who fostered them in their childhood. Now all three have moved on from the past, but as the wedding celebrations get underway, certain truths come to light. Uh, the book is called It's That Time of Year and the gifted storyteller behind it is author Roisin Meany. She's on the line with me now. How are you doing Roisin? Hi Sinead, I'm very well thank you and delighted to be talking to you again. Oh do you know what it's wonderful to have you back and you have been busy with two books because we had the restaurant which of course was out earlier this year and now you have this one It's That Time of Year but this book wasn't part of the plan at all Roisin was it? It, it was certainly not and I'm brain dead after it but I'm <laughs> delighted I got it written at the same time. No, I was supposed to have one book out this year and that was the restaurant as you said in June and the next book out next June or May or July or sometime around then anyway but I met my editor after I had finished the restaurant back in February just before we all went into lockdown and we started talking about the next book and th- throwing out a few ideas both of us really like we always do and I mentioned something about people travelling home to Ireland um, with a common purpose but maybe people who didn't know one another and it was as vague as that mm. and as soon as I did Kira, my editor her eyes lit up and she said God that sounds like a Christmas idea to me and we both kind of stopped talking uh, this was February Christmas wasn't that far away really in book terms and I said well I'm not re- writing a Christmas book now this is for next summer and she said well maybe it could be for Christmas and and we both ha- had to think about that for a few minutes and then I agreed tentatively to think about it for about a week and, and say yes or no and then in that week we were all put into lockdown so I got in touch with Kira. I said look I have to stay at home I'd be at home anyway but there's nobody else going out and there are no distractions so I'd give it a go and basically it, it got writ in in about three months, the first draft, which is much faster than any of the other ones get written. Um, so, yeah, it kind of slid out very easily. Yes, and, and that is fast, as you say. Like, so did it serve as a nice distraction then? You know, we were all kind of going, the world is ending and you were writing Christmas book. <laughs> I know, it was weird because uh, you remember the sun was splitting the rocks at that time yeah. and everyone was lying out in their gardens um, and they were having the consolation of at least the blue sky and the sunshine. I was hunched over the laptop inside writing about snow. There's a heavy <laughs> snowfall in the middle of the book and uh, and then I'd look up and I'd see the sun and it would take a minute for my head to get 
get into that space where I thought, God, yeah, it's really sunny. But it was a good distraction too. It was because I remember feeling very anxious. Like I, mm. I know a lot of other people were at the start and thinking, what the hell? This had never happened to us before. We were told to stay at home. The churches were closed. The pubs were closed. It was so unreal and so scary and you didn't know what was coming over the horizon. So this was wonderful to take my head out of that and into something totally different. It was great actually. And you know, I'm so glad because you know, you were writing this obviously in lockdown and I'm so glad that none of life right now has made its way into this wonderful book. This has such a festive feel to it. I mean, talk about getting us in the mood for Christmas, Roisin, really and truly. Would you be a big lover of Christmas now yourself? I do. I love Christmas. And, and um, I, I suppose I'm a kid at heart. I, I loved when I was a teacher and I usually had the infants. I loved Christmas as much as they loved Christmas. And I remember feeling just as excited as they were in the run up to it. And I was so happy that I could indulge my inner child, you know, with them and, and be as big a kid. As I as I wanted to be with them, and still now, even though I'm not teaching anymore, and I have li- limited contact with kids of that age, unfortunately, um, I still feel I love this time of year. And and you know, even this year, Sinead, I'm just determined to make it as Christmassy as I can, um, and just have all the the festive feels that I can I can get myself, you know. Oh, absolutely! And you're doing that with this book. I have to mention, though, uh, you know, with with children at this time of the year. Now, listen, it, it is great. It is lovely. I have a four and a half year old Roisin. Like I have to peel him off the ceiling like I don't know how you did that that age group I'd say your head was buzzing at the end of the day but you know (laughs) in terms of Christmas you know this is very much set at Christmas time but uh, and you've got all of that festive fair going on but there's plenty of drama here isn't there there is, there is drama because each of the three people who come home to Ireland have their own things going on and they're all in a kind of a tricky place and, and you know, without even realising it, I think they're coming home to Annie, their, their ex-foster mother. I don't think that's giving anything away really because mm. it comes in very quickly into the book that she was their foster mother. They're coming home to her to see if she can help them like she did when they were younger, um, you know, without even kind of knowing that that's what they're doing. But they have all said yes to the wedding invite, even though it's the week before Christmas you know it's a tricky time for travelling for anyone at that time um, but they all make the effort and they come home and and things are resolved and particularly with this book because I knew that you know this year was such a horrible year that people would want something happy I made this happier than I make the books generally I mean yeah. I try and have happy stuff going on in all the books but there's also other stuff going on and there is in this book too but I wanted everything to be resolved at the end unlike some of the books where you know things like like in real life not everything is resolved but in this one they are we do and, we need it we need it Roche yeah. we need it to be nicely wrapped up but yeah. you know I never see the twist coming in your books and there's a few <laughs> surprises here now I don't want to spoil anything about that but is it exciting coming up with the twist aspect of it Oh God, it is exciting. It's also very tricky, you know, and sometimes you're racking your brain for ages trying to come up with something that the reader won't anticipate. And I have to say, my mother is terrible in that regard. She always knows when a twist is coming. <laughs> I think about once I caught her out in a book and she, she, I was so delighted when she said to me, God, I, I never actually saw that coming. I felt like I really, you know, triumphed. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love having things that are a bit unexpected. Um, and hopefully it does they do take the reader by surprise Oh no they will they will absolutely in this Now you took me by surprise recently because something on your Twitter and normally you are you know three good things at twi- on Twitter which we loved chatting to you about uh, during Monday Motivation but you wrote something which struck a chord with me it was about grief and about your brother and it was something very very personal would you care to share this story with us today? 
Oh, I would, Sinead. I'd be delighted to share with, with you. Yeah, you're talking about Michael. Um, the, his anniversary was the 13th of December, um, his 25th anniversary. My brother, Michael, he died when he was 33 in 1995. And um, Michael, yeah, I, I don't know why I felt compelled to tweet about it this year. I've never put anything up about him before. But I, I'm not sure really what, what led me to. And I did a little thread, like you say, and it got, it got a lot of response. But um, Michael, growing up, I had five brothers and one sister and Michael was always the kind of odd man out in the family um, he wasn't the black sheep by any means mm. but he was just a bit different from the rest of us like we we kind of sailed comfortably enough through school not that we were necessarily bursting with brains but we could we could get through the exams you know fairly respectably and we all went to college but Michael left school after his intercert which I'm not even sure that he passed now and you know it was quite easy to pass the intercert so he just wasn't one for the books at all it wasn't his Thing. Yeah, and um, and and for that reason, I never. Even though he comes next in line to me, he came next in line to me in the family. I was third eldest, and he was fourth. I never really felt that close to Michael. I just felt that we had virtually nothing in common except for our parents. That's that's how I felt about him, really. And it wasn't that we always fought. We never fought, really. We just weren't close enough to do anything like that. Um, and I I think I didn't even realize it half the time. But I just didn't include him in a lot of my life. Um, and um, and then he, he when he was 18, he was involved in a road accident and he developed epilepsy as a result of it. And it, in the end, it was epilepsy that actually got him because he, he was getting more and more seizures as the time went on, as the years went on. And they were getting more and more severe. And in fact, every seizure um, for the last maybe year of his life. Um, it, it, he, somebody had to call an ambulance for him because he just couldn't get out of them himself and he had to be brought to hospital and they would get him out for, with some kind of medication. But um, So that was the way it was and it was very tough on my parents because he was still living at home and they actually had a monitor for night time. They had like a baby mm-hmm. monitor in their room so that they could hear if he went into a seizure. Um, so it was it was very tough, but he he went into a seizure on the thirteenth of December, nineteen ninety five, and his heart gave out. It just it was too severe. They were waiting for the ambulance to arrive when he actually died, and Mam and Dad were both with him, which was wonderful. Well, I suppose it wasn't that wonderful for them, mm. but it was wonderful that that they it were was there somebody, really in, yeah, yeah, somebody. And um, I remember my mother was actually um, uh, making the icing for the Christmas cake at the time. And from that year on, she never made another cake, another Christmas cake. So I took over the making of the Christmas cake then. I was 35 or 34 or 35 at the time. Um, so and to this day, I still make the cake for their house. But um, and then six years later, so in 2001, I, I, I was teaching at the time, but I took a year off. I decided I'd try and uh, write a book. It had been in my head for a while. And I just thought, look, at here goes. I'm going to give it a go. So I took a career break and I went over to San Francisco where one of my other brothers lived at the time, Kiran. He still lives in, in uh, California, but he was living in San Francisco and I, I moved in with him for the year. And on, on the block next to his house was a Buddhist centre. And I used to walk around the, the city when I wasn't writing. It was a gorgeous city to walk around and um, very interesting. And I used to pass this centre and I never really took too much notice of it. I, I had no great aspirations to be a Buddhist or anything. <laughs> yeah. and no great curiosity really about it either. But for some reason, a sign in the window caught my eye in the run up to Christmas, the year I was there. And um, I, I went over to read it and they were they were having a retreat, a one week retreat starting about two days before Christmas in the Santa Cruz Mountains in California. 
And it just grabbed me. I don't know. And it was open to anyone. They didn't have to be Buddhist. Mm. So I went home and I said to my brother, would you mind if I wasn't here for Christmas? And he didn't mind at all. (laughs) (laughs) I was delighted. (laughs) I was kind of the naggy big sister, you know. He was probably regretting that he'd offered his house for the year. (laughs) Anyway, I went off quite happily. And and we had six hours of meditation every day, which sounds amazingly uh, challenging. Yes. But actually, I have to say, I kind of enjoyed it. I'd never really meditated up to then, but we had a wonderful facilitator for the course, a man from Scotland. I don't even remember his name now, but he was lovely. And he guided us gently, you know, into each meditation. We had three hours every morning, three hours every afternoon. And some of the meditation was we were all seated. And other times he would bring us out, outside the cabin where the meditation went on. And he would lead us on a walk. Just It might even be just around the cabin for Mm. an hour or two. And we were just walking in silence and meditating. And it was wonderful. And it was, oh, the situation was fabulous. It was in the middle of this forest. And we used to just... I used to just drink in the the pure air of the forest when we weren't in meditation. I would go out and walk in the forest and it was lovely. And then the three days in the middle of the week were in silence, total silence. So even when we weren't meditating, we were all going to be silent. Right. So it was it was not the easiest thing in the world, but I have to say I, I did enjoy it and I loved being away from all the commercialism of Christmas. Um so on the on the first day of the silence day, which was probably the third day of our week, we were going into meditation as always and oh I, I and one thing he used to say to us before we went in was put somebody in your head, somebody mm. you know. It could be somebody living or somebody not not living anymore. Just put them in your head and have them there for your meditation. You don't have to do anything about them, but just think of them as you're going into meditation. And for some reason, I thought of Michael. Now, since he died, I had felt awfully guilty. I never cried after he died. I never shed one tear in the aftermath of his death. And I felt terribly guilty that I couldn't cry. I just didn't have the the emotion. Mm. I didn't feel the grief, but I did feel guilt, horrible, horrible guilt. And for some reason, I put him into my head. Now, I don't know why. And within about 10 minutes of starting the meditation, I could feel tears coming. And I didn't know where they were coming from. They were coming from nowhere, as I thought. Yeah. And, and, and they spilled over and I had to leave the room because I was going to be sobbing aloud if I didn't. So I, I left the room and I could kind of feel everyone, you know, looking after me and that or just wondering. But I went out and I, I stayed on my own for the rest of that day in the forest. I just stayed there and I cried and I cried and I cried all the tears in in the world came out that day and i i i couldn't talk to anyone about it well we were in silence anyway (laughs) but even if we weren't i couldn't have talked to anyone but i remember that evening i went in for the evening meal and we were all sitting in silence around the table and the facilitator the lovely man from scotland was right across the table from me and i i kept having to put down my cutlery because i just felt more tears threatening Mm. And he just put his hand oh, across the table and put it on top of my hand at some stage. Of course, that set me off totally. Yes. And I was weeping and trying to eat at the same time. Anyway, we, we got through the week. I got through the week. And I went back to the meditation the following morning and I kind of pulled myself together. But I just didn't, I didn't understand why I had cried so much that day. And I, I don't think I even, well, I did connect it with Michael. I knew it had to be connected, but I couldn't really put all the pieces together in my head. So on the last day, the last full day, we were going the following day. We all did kind of a recce of, you know, how we had got on mm. the, the, in the week. And everyone around the circle, there were about 15 of us, all said what they thought of the week. And it got to my turn. And I was all set to tell them, explain to them why I was, you know, had that bad day. Because I knew they were all wondering. 
and I found I couldn't say it. I was I just started crying again when I tried to explain. So I just said, pass me out. And, and they kept going around the circle. And after that meeting, the facilitator came and he said, would you like to talk to me on my own? And I went off to his his office and I cried all the story out to him about Michael and how I felt guilty and everything. And even now I feel that I'm getting a bit of a yes. story. But, but he said, this is what you do now if you want to. Write him a letter. Just write a letter to him and just say everything you want to say to him in the letter. Mm. So, and then he said, when you finish the letter, just bundle it up and throw it in the fire. There was a lovely stove every evening there. So that's exactly what I did. That evening, I, I put pen to paper and I thought, God, what am I going to write? And I just wrote, dear Michael, and it just happened after that. It yeah. just all came out. And I said, sorry that I wasn't a better sister to him. Sorry, I'm, I'm just having to no you're you're okay gather take, myself together. take your time um, take your time yeah, you're okay i just i just kind of you know said everything i wanted to say to him and then at the end i just i didn't even reread it i mm. just crumpled it up and i flung it into the stove and from that day on the guilt was gone it was just gone it was i i couldn't explain it and to this day i can't explain it it was as if i was forgiven really yes. um is all i can say about it and you know michael was the best of us i can see it now i couldn't see it while he was alive he was the best of us he was the kindest and and the, the gentlest of us and maybe i was too brash to to see that when i was younger and mm. to just you know appreciate what he had in him and maybe the rest of us were too although funny we we never really talked about how we were with Michael after he died. Well, I couldn't talk to anyone about it anyway. But yeah. I don't think the others did either. Um, and and I don't think I ever things. will. Yeah, I'm and do you know, do you know, just as you're talking there, it's like, I think it's going to connect with an awful lot of people. People who've lost people this year, people who yeah. didn't get to maybe, you know, celebrate somebody's life who passed away because of difficulties with funerals and COVID and restrictions and all of that. People like you who might have somebody that they uh, lost years ago and like that, never properly grieved. And because it's Christmas and because it's so tricky a time of year, I think that exercise of what you've done, of writing that letter, is such a powerful thing to do. And I think it's going to really help an awful lot of people. Sinead, I would I would advise anyone to do it if they have anything inside them that they feel should come out. Um, nobody needs see it. They need tell nobody about it. But just get that piece of paper and just write that letter and then throw it away. Put it in the mm. fire. Put it in the recycling. No, don't put it in the recycling. <laughs> put it in the bin <laughs> or put it in the fire. But yes. And just get rid of it and it'll be out of you and it'll be down on the paper and it'll be gone. Um, it really, really worked for me. And I just think people might just find that it works for them too. And the funny thing is, Sinead, I just put it into the book I'm writing at the moment. I've got a man to do it in the book I'm writing. And I think that was since that, since the 13th when I put it up on Twitter because it was in my head. Yeah. This man had a problem and I thought, God, maybe I'll get somebody to advise him to write the letter. And I did. And um, yeah, well, I won't say what happened after it because people have to read the book. Yes, because <laughs> I was just going to say it's brought me nicely now because it is full steam ahead uh, on another book. So that's three really, you may say, that you've written in 2020, Roisin. Well, <laughs> I suppose really the restaurant was mostly written in 2019. So. Yeah. You know, I, I, but two full books, yeah, written in 2020. No wonder I'm a bit brain dead at the moment. Not at all. It has been an absolute pleasure having you. I wish you every success with this book. And no doubt we'll come back and have a chat with me about book three when it hits bookshops. Have a wonderful Christmas. Keep posting pictures of your wonderful cats as well because they brighten up my day. Uh, but for now, thank you so, so much for joining me. 
Thanks a million, Sinead. Happy Christmas to Happy you Christmas. Absolutely happy Christmas. It's that time of year by the wonderful Roshan Meany. It is out now in bookshops. If you want something for yourself, if you want to give a last minute gift, I highly recommend it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.